What's up, y'all? So when I was walking down the hall, I could hear Daniel talking. It, sound, it sounded like I was in a club or something like like the, the sound in here. Um, do you notice how he, he always speaks to you like he's having a conversation? You notice that? It's because he is. Um, I want you guys to know, those of y'all that are new, there's so many awesome things that are happening in this church right now. It's blowing me away. Like literally as leaders, we're saying, man, we need to lock down what we're doing, where we're going, what we're saying. The enemy's gonna attack. Wonderful, wonderful things are happening. Uh, partner meeting this afternoon after the 11.30. We have more signed up than we've ever had in our church's history. Uh, parenting classes going on, that's really good. Our, our kids' ministry has jumped off the chart. Our youth ministry has gone off the chart. Like we, man, I love coming here on Sunday morning. I really do. Um, it, this is not a drudge to me. I love teaching the Bible because the Bible has changed my life. Uh, Jesus has saved me. I should not be here. I should be divorced. I should be in jail. I should be dead. And I'm not. I'm here. Okay? So we're going to see today from Scripture, Jonah part three uh, will be last verse of chapter one whole uh, part of uh, chapter two, which is only 10 verses, we're going to see and build on last week that if our emotions, our feelings are what's driving us right now, bad decisions are being made. I would even say that if you and I can make good worldly decisions in terms of like good work decisions, good exercise decisions, good relational decisions, the best decisions you can make in and of your own power have an impact of maybe a week, a month, a year if you're varsity, okay? Godly wisdom for the believers, for those that follow Jesus, goes into eternity, all right? You need to understand that. So what's the greater value? You know, it doesn't take somebody that went to private school to understand that if you want the largest ROI on, your God, on wisdom, it needs to be godly wisdom, so last week, what we saw is Jonah is in the boat. Now, before we go forward, let me ask a question. We call people churchies that were raised in the church. So if you're raised in the church, raise your hands, raise your hands up high, be proud of it. Okay. Um, a lot of indiscrepancies in terms of what we were told about Jonah when we were kids. Amen. I'll show you one or two in just a minute. Um, but I, there was, uh, in my little children's devotional for Jonah, it showed like usually a giant whale, right? Nowhere in scripture does it say a whale swallowed him. But in that whale's belly, Jonah some, somehow was able to get on his knees and pray. <laughs> Did anybody have that picture in their children's devotional? Um, Jonah was never on his knees during those three days. He's being sloshed around in the belly of a giant fish. He was trying just to live. It was a horrific three days. It wasn't a me time three days. It was, it was, he's about to die in the gastric juices of this giant fish. And last week we see that he is run from God. Uh, the storm is of epic proportion that is even bothering the sailors. And that's when you know you need to be worried. When you're on a boat in the ocean, a storm happens and the guys that brought you there are nervous or gals, okay? Um, they, he tells them, hey, this is my fault. Throw me over the, the, the side and, and the weather will, will, will settle. Um, they don't want to do it. The pagans don't want to do the hard thing. The so-called 
God follower is choosing to do all the wrong things. Do you see that dichotomy right there? And finally they do, and we watch the pagans become Old Testament Christians, and we watch the one who's been called by God, hearing God verbally speak, he was a prophet, disobey God. How, how strange is that? And here's the premise for where we'll go today, and then we'll work it out through scripture. When you and I make Decisions to be in habitual sin, make bad choices, disregards God's call, run from him. Hard things happen. Can we agree on that? Hard things happen. And, and, I, and I can't define those in your life. You can't define them in mine. I am not your judge. I don't, I, I don't like it when the church gets judgy because we have no right to do so. But who is your judge is the one who's created you. And he has every right to judge you. He has, every, he has every right to judge me. And so when bad choices are made, when sin is embraced habitually, when we disobey God, hard things happen. And we're going we're gonna to see that today. As God calls us to get up, to go, and to speak, and that has been Jonah's calling, we must come under the authority of our call in Christ Jesus, not our emotions and our feelings. You may have good emotions, or so you think. You may have good feelings, touchy-feely, you're the nice person, everybody loves you. Again, your best wisdom you can, you can bring about will only affect a little bit of your tomorrow. Godly wisdom is connected to eternity. This can only be accomplished by focusing on the cross and hoping in the future. Emotional decisions we talked about last week always affect those around you. They, they always do. Unless you're living on an island by yourself. Your emotional uh, choices, your emotional preferences will affect those around you. Now, here's, here's my premise for today. Habitual disobedience of God brings pain, problematic situations, and unpleasant circumstances. They do. Um, they, they do. And I'll share a verse with you later that says in Matthew that it rains church, on the just and the unjust. And good things happen to good people and good things happen to bad people. And so we can't use what's going on in other people's lives to justify what we do or what we don't do. We just know that hard things happen to all of us. Habitual disobedience of God brings pain, problematic situations, and unpleasant circumstances. Obedience to God brings his positive attention his help, and his care. Now, hopefully that's on the screen. I don't know if it is or not. I never look. But I want you to see that you can overlay the last three over the first three. It doesn't mean you're not going to suffer. Pastors that tell you that are, are heretical. It doesn't mean you're, you're going to suffer. But in your disobedience and my disobedience, what we're saying to God is that we can do this by ourselves. I know you're God and I've, I've been saved by you, etc. but I got this. And so we're taking ourselves from his care. We're taking ourselves from what we see as his presence. Because when you're in disobedience, you're not thinking about the presence of God like Jonah is not. You're just like, you're acting like the two-year-old. Nah, 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 nah. If I don't look at you, you're not there. Yet when we obey in those harder moments, and they're coming this year, 
maybe you're in one right now. Maybe you're struggling right now. They're coming. Um, God is present. Jehovah Rapha. So um, some of y'all know my situation. I've been on crutches like since October 19th. I got in the gym the first time this past week. I felt like a fifth grader walking around with the varsity. It was embarrassing. Um, but I, 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 can, I can walk now. So I, stay, I say with, with pleasure, please stand with me for the reading of God's word. Yeah. Hear the word of God. Jonah chapter one, verse 17, and then the entirety of chapter two. The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Not a whale, fish. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever, yet you brought me up my life from the pit, O Lord, my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple." Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Here's my first question, churchies. Where, where was Jonah deposited, if you will? Where, 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 where do we know from our history? Where, where did the fish throw him up? Nineveh? Yeah, see, no, it wasn't. Nineveh is a landlocked city. It's 300 miles inward. We were lied to as children. Okay, the little storybook of the giant whale spitting Jonah up who looks like he just got his clothes pressed. There's the city right there. Like Nineveh is a city by the sea. It's not. It's 300 plus miles inward. God caused the fish to throw him up in the same place where he left. And it's mercy and grace. God's saying, I'll give you a do-over. I'll start again. Now, let's get back to Jonah's prayer. Now, I, th- I think as we're listening to the prayer through somewhat sometimes jaded or I know ears, the prayer sounds really good. Let's now break it down a little bit, okay? Because if you want to know the truth, it's not that good. There's some fact in it, but there's also some pride. There's also some finger pointing, and there's also some, look at me, I'm awesome, all right? Um, Jonah did not pray for the sailors while on the boat or in the fish. Jonah actually did not even pray. Now Jonah prays out of his distress, but not out of his love for God. It's, it's a little different. 
So what I'm going to do first is I'm going to give you six points of how not to pray. Can we do that? Just appeal to the other side of your brain. Switch it up a little bit. Here's the first thing, what not to do in times of need. Pray only when you get in trouble. Wait until it's really, really bad. Anybody guilty of that? Anybody? Nobody wants to raise their hands for that. We've all done that. You're going to wait and you're going to wait until your, your, your situation is on fire and then you're going to be like, God help me. Um, and this is when Jonah is praying. He's already been thrown off a ship, which would be one of my worst nightmares. Let's be honest. That was not a little storybook moment. That was not a Hallmark moment. That was, oh no, this is horrible. And to be swallowed by a fish that just locks me up a little bit right there, okay? Horrible. And three days of complete darkness, of horribleness, of sloshing around in the gastric juices of this giant fish, not knowing if you're going to be alive or dead. Number two, pray out of your distress, not from a deep love relationship. There's, there's two ways that we can go about in our lives with Christ from this day, like from right now, Okay. We can continue to operate in a place of, I pretty much know what I'm doing. My life doesn't bad. Like I'm, I'm pretty good. Talked about that before. And when things start to yellow flag, maybe I'll pray a little bit. And when things get really bad, then I'll cry out to my Savior. That's one way to do it. And we'll see from Scripture that he will answer you. It's not that he's, he's not going to answer. Like he's, he's going to answer you because it, it mirrors his character. But your character is one of distancing. And so that's not the best way to do it. Pray out of your distress, not from a deep love relationship. Or we can choose to do this. We can choose to recognize the fact, Christian, and those of you that are being called right now, this is what's offered to you in salvation, is that you have been loved really, really, really well. And that God is washing his grace over you. And his mercy is available to you. And his community is here for you. All the things. Now, you have two kinds of grace. We can talk about this later. You can email me if you want to. You have uh, one of the terms for it is general grace. That God distributes to the the whole planet. Like non-Christian or Christian, we've been extremely blessed. Can Can we agree on that? And you have the sailors that were on the boat. They were complete pagans. And yet God chooses to save their life, grace. God is extending to Jonah a fish to swallow him that he might get a reset and mercy, that is grace. Why don't you and I pray like this? Lord, I love you. Lord, I just, I love you so much. Lord, thank you for your mercy. Lord, thank you for your grace. Thank you that I'm not dead, that I'm not divorced, that I'm not in jail. Thank you that I'm not disregarded. Thank you that you come to me over and over again and you seek me out and you give me real answers. You give me opportunity to eternal wisdom, not just wisdom for today. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. And we worship and we love him because he has loved you first. He's loved you first. And so when you're yellow flagging, okay, and red flagging, you and I can just enter that into the prayer conversation that is happening, not enter back into the relationship that has been negligent. He's going to answer you anyway. But church, 
There's so much more to know about him that may lead us to more obedience and more care and more presence. That's what we need. Number three, blame the Lord and not yourself for your present circumstances. Um, he does it like, I, it's in your sermon outline. You can pull it up, but three and four. Here's what self-righteous Jonah says. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas. No, Jonah, you did that. That's you. Oh, look what, look what happened to me. This is what happened to me. We're going to get to in the sermon that there are some things that we have affected in our bad choices. And there are also some things that have just happened to you that are sad and that are hard, but you didn't cause. This one right here is causal. Jonah caused it. Blame the Lord, not yourself, for your present circumstances. I'll speak first to you men, those of you that are head of households, those of you that are fathers, those of you that are bosses, those of you that are leaders. Take responsibility for yourself. Jocko Willink, you may or may not know him. He's online, dude. He calls it extreme ownership. I don't think it's a new term, but it's, it's, it's exactly what you and I need to do. Special forces guys that I know, they will take responsibility for stuff so quick that they did not even do. You know why? Because they've been trained to take care of this man and this man, and we're gonna do this together, and I'll take responsibility for that. You didn't even do it. doesn't matter. It needs, somebody needs to own it. And this is how Jesus lived for us. You think about that? Like Jesus is the one who said, punish me. Uh, shed my blood. Take my life. I will take ownership of things I did not even do. Take ownership, men. And ladies, take ownership. All of us as individuals, what are we blaming on others right now? That really just compromises our integrity in front of everybody that knows us. Take ownership. People respect it. And let me tell you, men and women will follow it. They will follow you way more if you show your fallible side than if you show your impenetrable side. Okay? Show weakness, show capacity to make mistake, and show the one you follow in those times. That's how we reflect Jesus, not ourselves. Number four, demean others in your self-righteousness. Um, check it out, verse eight. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. Those, that's what you've done, Jonah. You've trusted in yourself. You've trusted in, in your capacity, your ability, and your hatred of a people that you think should be hated, but you should not be hated. Number five, boast about yourself in your prayers. Tell God the good things you have done. Don't raise hands. Was anybody guilty of this? Like, oh, Lord, you know, we're, we're just doing the best we can. And we're doing much better than our neighbors. And Lord, you know, we just want to serve at church. And we serve more than most people we know. And Lord, you know, we just want to be humble givers. And I think we give more than everybody we know. So Lord, I'm pretty awesome. He says it right here, uh, verse 9. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. When's that going to be, Jonah? Hadn't happened yet. He's been running from God the whole time. Number six, make promises you probably will not keep. Those are the sacrifices. We don't see him make sacrifices when he lands. Maybe he does. Scripture doesn't record that he does. We don't see him make sacrifices when he gets to Nineveh. We just see him continue in his self-righteous, self-exalting ways. 
Now, here's the, the, the crazy piece of it. And it's good news for you and me. Even though Jonah's prayer is selfish and much of it is purely emotional, he speaks truth of who God is and what he does. I mean, he's telling the truth about God. He's just putting himself in a better light. So um, here's, I want to switch it and, and make it more positive. Now, what does God do in our times of need when we turn to him? So I would highly recommend, and we call it yellow flag, red flag in our family. Like there's things that Selena and I, with our kids want to take care of when it's here instead of, you know, here on the Richter scale. You know what I mean? Uh, this is where most of us take care of things, and I've been very guilty of that myself. But here is where it can really be eliminated, ob- objectively looked at, and planned for in God's wisdom. All right? So these are the things, whether you call upon God in your red line or your yellow line, here's what he does. First thing, God hears us. He hears you. It's good, it's good to be heard, right? Um, a number of years ago, I was at a pastor's conference, a pastor's conference, lead dudes from all over the United States. And I'm just hanging out. This one pastor that I knew um, from our area comes up and he addresses me. Tom, what's going on? How are you doing? And he shakes my hand and he asks me a question. And he goes like this. What's going on, Tom? How are you doing? Jim! And he walks around me to the other guy. And I thought, oh, okay. We're just platforms for you. Like you're gonna, you're gonna build yourself and care for yourself. I'll give you another example, a better example of that. So pastor, also a pastor on named Ingo. He's a German guy, speaks with a really strong accent. He's got his PhD. He's phenomenally smart, great counselor. Whenever Ingo is speaking to somebody, and I've, I've seen it happen 50 times. Somebody will come up and like, yeah, 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 start talking to him. He won't even look at them. He'll continue to focus on you and he'll listen and it gets awkward and then that person walks away. What is Ingo saying in that moment? I'm listening to you. You, your words matter. Regardless of whether they're crazy or not crazy or good or bad or up or down, whatever. We've all brought those words to God. God is listening. Number two, God answers back. He not only listens, but he responds. How does it feel when you're in a conversation with somebody you care about or somebody you're in deep community with and you're talking about something that's important and valuable and their response when you're done is to actually ask you a question or comment about what you said. It's, it's a flow, right? That's how it should be. I've got news for you. In your need, when you speak to God, not only will he hear you, he will, he'll answer back. Now, you got to get ready for his answers because it may not be what you want. So we can't be selective because you see, he's God. He's not your bro. He's God. And so when he answers from a place of all knowledge, he is giving you the truth. He is giving you the need. He is giving you the calling. He is giving you the the answer. It's not up for debate. Psalm 34, 17. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. Now, does that mean self-righteous people that just do all the right things? No, it means that people that are righteous in God, righteous in Christ. That our only, our hope, our only boast is because of Jesus. And our only main issue is our flesh. This is the righteous he's talking about. Lord hears 
and delivers them out of all their troubles. That's what the scripture says. Some of y'all are arguing with that right now, but talk to God about it after service. It says it right there. Um, number three, God is merciful and he's just. He's merciful to you and me and he will be just. Now, the church today tends to be on both sides of the fence on this, right? You have churches that are just like, well, God is just and we're the right ones, so God needs to eliminate everybody. He needs to kill them all and sort them out in heaven. He needs to realize that these people are the problem and those people are the problem and get them, God. Of course, we, we know what we're talking about. It's everybody else that doesn't know. Or you go to the other side to where it's just God is merciful. He loves you. He's just a giant hug in the sky for you. Like, he, whatever is your issue, you're, you're fine. Whatever lifestyle you choose, oh, God loves you no matter what you've done. God calls you. God's love is available to all, but scripture is very clear that none are righteous, no, not one. And we all have sinned. God also, there will come a place where his just side will deal with you and me. And even as a believer, that should horrify you right now. It should, it should stir something in your soul to where, okay, all right, uh, Lord, I know I've been saved by you. I know Ephesians 1, 2, I've been sealed by you. But to think about being separated from you, I could not, I would not live. How much greater is the need for those around us that don't know the Lord? What are we called to do? We're called to respond in a different way. We're called to show the mercy that God shows, and you and I are not called to be the judges that God is. You don't get both. You get one. Galatians 6, 7, do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever one sows, that he will also reap. Now, there's a discussion among theological nerds about sin right now, and it's called there is some unequal sin, that some sins are greater than the others. There's no scripture reference for that. You can go to a certain church's book of church order and find that. But in terms of sin being uneven or unequal, you can't. Now, what they're probably referring to is their footprint. So if I blow up a city, giant footprint, if I lie to my wife or my children or you, smaller footprint, both of those actions earn you hell. Okay? So listen, you and I, in some choices we've made, we do have to, you do have to reap what you've sown. But the blessing for the believer and those that trust in Jesus is as you're having to walk through that which you have caused, God is going to be with you. He's going to walk with you and he's going to talk with you. He's going to have answers for you. He's going to call you into a deeper understanding of who he is so good seed can be planted instead of, instead of the bad seed. Uh, let's be super clear about this. Jonah's situation was his fault. He disobeyed, disregarded, and ran from God. His hardness of heart got him into this mess. No one else. You don't see anywhere in Jonah's prayer, forgive me, I was wrong. This is all my fault. This was me. Lord, I ran for you. I'm sorry. It's like Jonah dismisses everything that happens and comes back to his religious talk. I will sacrifice and I will do and blah, blah, blah. And how about right now, Jonah? 
So you and I, it's dangerous ground that we walk on when we're ignoring what the Lord is saying. And man, I tell you, it's terrifying for me too. Matthew 5, 44, here's the passage I was telling you about. It's in your sermon notes. But I tell you, love your, now this is, it's gonna blow you away, okay? I'm just telling you right now. Here's Here's what Jesus says. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Are we hearing? Love, your, love those people that hate you, that disregard you, that want to hurt you, that want to hurt your family. Love those people so that you may be the children of your Father in heaven because that's, that's what God does. Check it out, second part of verse 45. For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Why are these two connected? It seems like they're separate thoughts. And it's something maybe we can all unpack later, you know. Some of you dudes that like to go deep into the dork forest when it comes to theology, hit me up online and maybe we can word study this and and dig in a little deep. It seems like Jesus is saying a prescriptive for you comprehending your sufferings in the future is for you to learn how to love people that are causing you suffering. Does it not? Like it's, it's right there. And, and this was kind of an aha moment for me when I saw it. I was like, oh, I want to comprehend the second. If I'm being honest, I don't want to do the first. I'm very reactive. I, I, I do, I have PTSD myself. I'm very jumpy in some situations. Some of you guys are too. And I have justified actions and reactions and thoughts and emotions in my brain based on my history, not on my calling. And that's a problem. Maybe it's a problem for you. This is our need for the gospel. And when a lot of us have been in church all our lives, when we hear the word gospel, we glaze a little bit. Yeah, yeah, I got that. Not if you have any sin in your life, you don't. You maybe kind of got it. But man, this is something we need to lock in every morning, every day, going back to the relationship of thank you, Lord, and I love you, Lord, and I need you, Lord, and increase my knowledge of who you are, Lord, and change me, Lord, and what can I do, Lord, and help me in this situation, Lord, just constantly in that banging on the door of heaven and asking God to speak. Love your enemy. I'll I'll tell you this. um, My daughters aren't in this service, so I can talk about them. One of my, I'm just kidding. I don't, I don't, they, they, I get permission. One of them had a dance this week and um, Selena and I want to be a part of everything they do. So a lot of y'all do, most of us do. And uh, I was also going to go out to dinner with some of my boys at the rim, hang out Friday night, long week, kick a little bit with them. I was looking forward to that. I thought the times were that we would drop this daughter off at the dance and then I could hit my appointment and then I would go back to pick up that child when my wife is picking up the other child that's coordinating with the third child to come back. It's logistics, man. It's amazing. So we had worked out the scheme. We had whiteboarded it. Everybody was on the same page. And then I'm at finishing up at the gym and my wife calls me and says, can you pick up this? We're going to leave that time. And I realized at the time I was supposed to be at the rim to hang out with my boys was the same time that we were going to drop off that daughter at the dance. And that daughter had already told my wife, daddy doesn't need to tell us, it's not a big deal. Like I'll see him later. You guys are president everything. And so in my mind, I'm thinking, well, she's going to be okay. And I'm telling you, if I'm, if I'm lying, I'm dying. It was super clear to me. You be there for your daughter. 
I called immediately. Can't go, sorry. And, and we, took, we took that daughter to the dance, which we were present for all of 10 minutes. Um, it's still the right call. If you and I want to hear God, we're going to have to talk to God. And we're going to have to listen to God. And we're going to have to obey God. Okay? These are the same things. Now, here's probably as far as we're going to get today. But here's the premise I want you to think about. I hope this is a graph on the screen. If not, it's in, it's in your notes. Hardness of heart, habitual disobedience from Scripture will bring about difficult situations. Can we agree on that? Like it's, it's, it's biblical, it's precept, it's fact, all right? Um, that's rough. And if y'all are in that space, that's what the church is for. Talk, share, tell. And what you'll, you'll find, if you're able to do that and receive some help, then you're called to give help. That's, that's how the church works. Now I wanna switch that around and tell you this can happen in another pathway too. And this may be how the enemy has snuck this in on you. Sometimes difficult situations and suffering happen to whom? My mother would be so proud of me for saying whom right now. It happens just to people that are living their lives. That deaths happen. That hardship happens. That physical ailment, impairments happen. And you haven't, it's not judgment. It's just life. And here's what can happen on this end then in response to that suffering, your response is anger. God, why would you do that? Which leads to a hardness of heart, which leads to disobedience, which leads to what? More hard situations. So let me, let me just say, um, a lot of us, we can be honest about that. That was my fault. That was me. But make sure that you're checking yourself on the other side too that maybe you just had some incredibly hard things happen. And scripture is super clear. God will not give us more than we can handle, more than we can can cry out to him and get help. But maybe you've been caught on the flip side of this, that just some really bad things have happened to good people, but your response has been sin. And therefore, that's taking you into even harder spaces. I'll give you this last one and we'll, We'll call it a day. Number five, uh, skip number four. Well, you know what? I'm not going to skip number four. I'm just not going to look at the clock anymore. Uh, God is the God of great salvations. Remember the dudes on the boat? Sailors. You ever hung out with sailors? Okay. Some of y'all are sailors, metaphorically. Okay. Um, rough, hard, probably violent men get saved radically, okay? God is a God of great salvations. Are y'all aware of some of the great salvations in this room right now? It's you. It's you. It's you. You're the great salvation. You shouldn't be saved right now. You don't have capacity to call out to God. He has imputed his love and righteousness into you. He has saved you. Your salvation is great. That's you and I. Ephesians 2.13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You are the great salvation. 
This is what we have. When we acknowledge these kind of things, what does it do to our heart and lives? Causes us to be people of praise. Causes us to want to get closer to God because now we're realizing where our life has has come from. And as we get closer to God, our earthly wisdom gets extended into godly wisdom. And the change that I want to see in you and me is not just us. I want to see it in our kids. I want to see it in our grandkids. I want us to be living for the generations for the glory of God. Not our tight little concentric, immature North American circle. It's not enough. I'll outro with this. Um, The God of the Old Testament is the God of the gospel. And the New Testament is the God of first century church. It's the God of the industrial revolution in the 1850s. Is the God of Nazi Germany. Is the God of terrorism worldwide right now. Is the God of everything. He's the same. He's just as merciful as he was since before time began. And he is just as just since time began. He has not altered one iota of who he is. Now, um, C.S. Lewis, famous author, you may have heard of him, brilliant philosopher, follower of Christ, uh, wrote the Narnia series, wrote a lot of other stuff too. Brilliant, brilliant dude. Um, Atheist, decided to read the Bible so he could disprove it, fell on his knees halfway through it, cried out to God, became a Christian, changed everything. Phenomenal apologetics guy. Not all his stuff is golden. Some of his stuff's like, yes, yes, I'm not sure about that, okay? But his insight into suffering and pain was predicated by he got married later in life, met the the love of his, I can't think of the movie right now, but it's Anthony Hopkins and Deborah Winger. Uh, It's a story of their relationship, and then she dies from cancer. And the insufferable pain that he goes through is what he writes from. Here's what he said. And I'm just speaking to those of y'all that the suffering that's happened, the pain that's happened, I know it's real. I've got it too. Good news for you, probably more is coming. Um, Here's what he says. But pain insists upon being attended to. Pain, it demands being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse the deaf world. So church, suffering is not some sidebar of inclusion into pain for a minute that then we come out of it and we come back to who we are. It's not a hospital visit. It is a heart changer. It is an opportunity for you and I to literally be decimated, to not know what to do or how to respond and to cry out to the living God and to receive from him the help that is necessary and is the only option for change. That's Jesus. That's why we want to keep it super simple in our church. We want to teach the Bible. We want to be in community with one another. You know, we want to know each other in our little community groups are all over the city. If you're not a part of one, you're missing a part of the best part of life. We want to do discipleship groups. We're the same gender, Bible studies. All we're doing is just going over the word. And if it is the word of God, and I believe it is, I, I, I'm staking my life on it, then it has the power to change. And what it changes is our obstinacy, 
it changes our rebellion. It changes our desire to be disobedient because we're by ourselves as opposed to having to work that out with fear and trembling in the community of other believers. It changes what you believe and what you think. It changes your relationships. It changes your future all for the glory of God and your greater good. That's why Jesus established the church for his glory and for your need. Amen and amen. Let's pray. Call it a day. Communion team, you can come on down. <sighs> Almighty God, we just, we thank you. We praise you. We need you, Lord. Um, we are emotional people and you've given us emotions. They're not bad. But what's bad is relying on those emotions constantly. Instead of obeying you when you tell us to forgive one another, instead of obeying you when you tell us to love one another, that's what you do for us. Open our eyes that we might see you, hear you. Uh, Father, may the church with a big C uh, strengthen itself, lock arms with others, care for one another. Lord, I don't know how to do this, but you said clearly in Matthew, that a predicate for us understanding our suffering is to learn how to love those that have brought suffering to us. So please, please fill us with your Holy Spirit on that one. We're broken people. In your name we pray, King Jesus. Amen. Our church, when you're ready, uh, come to the center aisle, come down front, receive the bread, which represents Christ's body, which is broken for you and receive the juice which symbolizes his blood which didn't in some type of uh, just example way but actual way paid the debt for your sin and mine. Literally went to the Father and paid your debt that God the Father may look upon you and I, the saved, and look at you and me and say, righteous. Righteous because of my son's blood. Amen and amen. If you're not a believer, stay in your seat.